File 42 of A Treatise of Human Nature by David Hume, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by George Yeager. Book 3 of Morals. Part 2 of Justice and Injustice. Section 6. Some Farther Reflections Concerning Justice and Injustice we have now run over the three fundamental laws of nature that of the stability of possession of its transference by consent and of the performance of promises it is on the strict observance of those three laws that the peace and security of human society entirely depend nor is there any possibility of establishing a good correspondence among men where these are neglected society is absolutely necessary for the well-being of men and these are as necessary to the support of society whatever restraint they may impose on the passions of men they are the real offspring of those passions and are only a more artful and more refined way of satisfying them nothing is more vigilant and inventive than our passions and nothing is more obvious than the convention for the observance of these rules nature has therefore trusted this affair entirely to the conduct of men and has not placed in the mind any peculiar original principles to determine us to a set of actions into which the other principles of our frame and constitution were sufficient to lead us and to convince us the more fully of this truth we may here stop a moment and from a review of the preceding reasonings may draw some new arguments to prove that those laws however necessary are entirely artificial and of human invention and consequently that justice is an artificial and not a natural virtue one the first argument i shall make use of is derived from the vulgar definition of justice justice is commonly defined to be a constant and perpetual will of giving every one his due in this definition it is supposed that there are such things as right and property independent of justice and antecedent to it and that they would have subsisted though men had never dreamt of practising such a virtue i have already observed in a cursory manner the fallacy of this opinion and shall here continue to open up a little more distinctly my sentiments on that subject i shall begin with observing that this quality which we call property is like many of the imaginary qualities of the peripatetic philosophy and vanishes upon a more accurate inspection into the subject when considered apart from our moral sentiments it is evident property does not consist in any of the sensible qualities of the object for these may continue invariably the same while the property changes property therefore must consist in some relation of the object 
but it is not in its relation with regard to other external and inanimate objects for these may also continue invariably the same while the property changes this quality therefore consists in the relations of objects to intelligent and rational beings but it is not the external and corporeal relation which forms the essence of property for that relation may be the same betwixt inanimate objects or with regard to brute creatures though in those cases it forms no property it is therefore in some internal relation that the property consists that is in some influence which the external relations of the object have on the mind and actions thus the external relation which we call occupation or first possession is not of itself imagined to be the property of the object but only to cause its property now it is evident this external relation causes nothing in external objects and has only an influence on the mind by giving us a sense of duty in abstaining from that object and in restoring it to the first possessor these actions are properly what we call justice and consequently it is on that virtue that the nature of property depends and not the virtue on the property if any one therefore would assert that justice is a natural virtue and injustice a natural vice he must assert that abstracting from the notions of property and right and obligation a certain conduct and train of actions in certain external relations of objects has naturally a moral beauty or deformity and causes an original pleasure or uneasiness thus the restoring a man's goods to him is considered as virtuous not because nature has annexed a certain sentiment of pleasure to such a conduct with regard to the property of others but because she has annexed that sentiment to such a conduct with regard to those external objects of which others have had the first or long possession or which they have received by the consent of those who have had first or long possession if nature has given us no such sentiment there is not naturally nor antecedent to human conventions any such thing as property now though it seems sufficiently evident in this dry and accurate consideration of the present subject that nature has annexed no pleasure or sentiment of approbation to such a conduct yet that i may leave as little room for doubt as possible i shall subjoin a few more arguments to confirm my opinion first if nature had given us a pleasure of this kind it would have been as evident and discernible as on every other occasion nor should we have found any difficulty to perceive that the consideration of such actions in such a situation gives a certain pleasure and sentiment of approbation we should not have been obliged to have recourse to notions of property in the definition of justice and at the same time make use of the notions of justice in the definition of property 
this deceitful method of reasoning is a plain proof that there are contained in the subject some obscurities and difficulties which we are not able to surmount and which we desire to evade by this artifice secondly those rules by which properties rights and obligations are determined have in them no marks of a natural origin but many of artifice and contrivance they are too numerous to have proceeded from nature they are changeable by human laws and have all of them a direct and evident tendency to public good and the support of civil society this last circumstance is remarkable upon two accounts first because though the cause of the establishment of these laws had been a regard for the public good as much as the public good is their natural tendency they would still have been artificial as being purposely contrived and directed to a certain end secondly because if men had been endowed with such a strong regard for a public good they would never have restrained themselves by these rules so that the laws of justice arise from natural principles in a manner still more oblique and artificial it is self-love which is their real origin and as the self-love of one person is naturally contrary to that of another these several interested passions are obliged to adjust themselves after such a manner as to concur in some system of conduct and behaviour this system therefore comprehending the interest of each individual is of course advantageous to the public though it be not intended for that purpose by the inventors Two in the second place we may observe that all kinds of vice and virtue run insensibly into each other and may approach by such imperceptible degrees as will make it very difficult if not absolutely impossible to determine when the one ends and the other begins and from this observation we may derive a new argument for the foregoing principle for whatever may be the case with regard to all kinds of vice and virtue it is certain that rights and obligations and property admit of no such insensible gradation but that a man either has a full and perfect property or none at all and is either entirely obliged to perform any action or lies under no manner of obligation however civil laws may talk of a perfect dominion and of an imperfect it is easy to observe that this arises from a fiction which has no foundation in reason and can never enter into our notions of natural justice and equity a man that hires a horse though but for a day has as full a right to make use of it for that time as he whom we call its proprietor has to make use of it any other day and it is evident that however the use may be bounded in time or degree the right itself is not susceptible of any such gradation but is absolute and entire so far as it extends 
accordingly we may observe that this right both arises and perishes in an instant and that a man entirely acquires the property of any object by occupation or the consent of the proprietor and loses it by his own consent without any of that insensible gradation which is remarkable in other qualities and relations since therefore this is the case with regard to property and rights and obligations i ask how it stands with regard to justice and injustice after whatever manner you answer this question you run into inextricable difficulties if you reply that justice and injustice admit of degree and run insensibly into each other you expressly contradict the foregoing position that obligation and property are not susceptible of such a gradation these depend entirely upon justice and injustice and follow them in all their variations where the justice is entire the property is also entire where the justice is imperfect the property must also be imperfect and vice versa if the property admit of no such variations they must also be incompatible with justice if you assent therefore to this last proposition and assert that justice and injustice are not susceptible of degrees you in effect assert that they are not naturally either vicious or virtuous since vice and virtue moral good and evil and indeed all natural qualities run insensibly into each other and are on many occasions undistinguishable and here it may be worth while to observe that though abstract reasoning and the general maxims of philosophy and law establish this position that property and right and obligation admit not of degrees yet in our common and negligent way of thinking we find great difficulty to entertain that opinion and do even secretly embrace the contrary principle an object must either be in the possession of one person or another an action must either be performed or not the necessity there is of choosing one side in these dilemmas and the impossibility there often is of finding any just medium oblige us when we reflect on the matter to acknowledge that all property and obligations are entire but on the other hand when we consider the origin of property and obligation and find that they depend on public utility and sometimes on the propensities of the imagination which are seldom entire on any side we are naturally inclined to imagine that these moral relations admit of an insensible gradation hence it is that in references where the consent of the parties leave the referees entire masters of the subject they commonly discover so much equity and justice on both sides as induces them to strike a medium and divide the difference betwixt the parties civil judges who have not this liberty but are obliged to give a decisive sentence on some one side 
are often at a loss how to determine and are necessitated to proceed on the most frivolous reasons in the world half rights and obligations which seem so natural in common life are perfect absurdities in their tribunal for which reason they are often obliged to take half arguments for whole ones in order to terminate the affair one way or another three the third argument of this kind i shall make use of may be explained thus if we consider the ordinary course of human actions we shall find that the mind restrains not itself by any general and universal rules but acts on most occasions as it is determined by its present motives and inclination as each action is a particular individual event it must proceed from particular principles and from our immediate situation within ourselves and with respect to the rest of the universe if on some occasions we extend our motives beyond those very circumstances which gave rise to them and form something like general rules for our conduct it is easy to observe that these rules are not perfectly inflexible but allow of many exceptions since therefore this is the ordinary course of human actions we may conclude that the laws of justice being universal and perfectly inflexible can never be derived from nature nor be the immediate offspring of any natural motive or inclination no action can be either morally good or evil unless there be some natural passion or motive to impel us to it or deter us from it and it is evident that the morality must be susceptible of all the same variations which are natural to the passion here are two persons who dispute for an estate of whom one is rich a fool and a bachelor the other poor a man of sense and has a numerous family the first is my enemy the second my friend whether i be actuated in this affair by a view to public or private interest by friendship or enmity i must be induced to do my utmost to procure the estate to the latter nor would any consideration of the right and property of the persons be able to restrain me were i actuated only by natural motives without any combination or convention with others for as all property depends on morality and as all morality depends on the ordinary course of our passions and actions and as these again are only directed by particular motives it is evident such a partial conduct must be suitable to the strictest morality and could never be a violation of property were men therefore to take the liberty of acting with regard to the laws of society as they do in every other affair they would conduct themselves on most occasions by particular judgments and would take into consideration the characters and circumstances of the persons as well as the general nature of the question but it is easy to observe that this would produce an infinite confusion in human society 
and that the avidity and partiality of men would quickly bring disorder into the world if not restrained by some general and inflexible principles twas therefore with a view to this inconvenience that men have established those principles and have agreed to restrain themselves by general rules which are unchangeable by spite and favour and by particular views of private or public interest these rules then are artificially invented for a certain purpose and are contrary to the common principles of human nature which accommodate themselves to circumstances and have no stated invariable method of operation nor do i perceive how i can easily be mistaken in this matter i see evidently that when any man imposes on himself general inflexible rules in his conduct with others he considers certain objects as their property which he supposes to be sacred and inviolable but no proposition can be more evident than that property is perfectly unintelligible without first supposing justice and injustice and that these virtues and vices are as unintelligible unless we have motives independent of the morality to impel us to just actions and deter us from unjust ones let those motives therefore be what they will they must accommodate themselves to circumstances and must admit of all the variations which human affairs in their incessant revolutions are susceptible of they are consequently a very improper foundation for such rigid inflexible rules as the laws of nature and it is evident these laws can only be derived from human conventions when men have perceived the disorders that result from following their natural and variable principles upon the whole then we are to consider this distinction betwixt justice and injustice as having two different foundations that is that of interest when men observe that it is impossible to live in society without restraining themselves by certain rules and that of morality when this interest is once observed and men receive a pleasure from the view of such actions as tend to the peace of society and an uneasiness from such as are contrary to it it is the voluntary convention and artifice of men which makes the first interest take place and therefore those laws of justice are so far to be considered as artificial after that interest is once established and acknowledged the sense of morality in the observance of these rules follows naturally and of itself though it is certain that it is also augmented by a new artifice and that the public instructions of politicians and the private education of parents contribute to the giving us a sense of honour and duty in the strict regulation of our actions with regard to the properties of others. End of file 42